Well, good morning. Um, I'm Brad. I think I know most of you. And uh, it's great to be together this morning and to go into um, engaging scripture um, in the context of prayer, in the context, thank you, Anthony, of, um, of real life and real stuff and, and the needs of our community and our world um, kind of at the forefront of our mind. And, and I think God invites us to read and encounter scripture that way. We are in the midst of walking through the Gospel of Matthew together as a community. And um, those of you who've done this with us before, we kind of, we have this reputation of really taking our time. Um, and so I don't know how many months we've been in Matthew, but um, today is going to be a really aggressive Sunday because we're handling three stories all at once. These stories actually go together. When Josh asked me a while back uh, about preaching on this passage, I looked at the passage and I said, yeah, right? Because in this one passage, we've got reasons not to follow Jesus, we've got a boat underwater, and we've got demons and pigs. So who would turn that opportunity down? <laughs> who would turn that opportunity down? I certainly didn't want to be that guy. So um, I, wanted to, I want to help us dive right into this passage and get us to sort of read it together. I didn't ask anybody ahead of time, but I would love to get a few different people reading. Will somebody just read this first story for us? Real loud. And then I'll get two other people. Yeah, Jonathan, go for it. Okay, I'm going to stop there for a minute. Uh, one word that jumped out to you from that reading. Human one. Human one. Very. Very. Dead. 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 Legal expert. Legal expert. Go. Go. Follow. Follow. All right, Naomi, will you read this next one? Okay, again, one word. Afraid. Afraid. Huge? <laughs> it's all in the inflection. Say again. Amazed. Drown. All right, one more story, one more reader. Who's got this one? Go for it, Jason. When Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake in the country of the Galileans, good enough.
You get to keep reading. All right, this time, uh, turn to somebody else and talk about that word or phrase or just what the heck, right, is going on here. Um, talk about that for a minute. I'm curious, a couple of your initial reflections on this passage or this series of passages. What did you, what did you talk about? What came to mind? Go ahead. Go ahead. Right, please leave. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Marcus. Yeah, yeah, what do we do with it? Feels feels a little random. Okay. Yeah, Anthony. Fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The people thought they were going to drown, and then the pigs did. Yeah, talk about disruption. It's good. Yeah. 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 Thank you, Janine. We're going to pick that up. This is good. This is, there, there's something disturbing about a community losing uh, their livelihood. Um, it's good. I, I almost called Aaron uh, this week on that question, actually, because I'm like, this is a weird Bible ethics question, isn't it? <laughs> okay, good. Well, later I'm just going to call on you, so just be ready. <laughs> um, and obviously we can't handle like the enormity of, of, of this whole passage this morning, but we'll see what we can do justice to. In, in context, so this is preceded by three healing stories Misty talked about um, those last week. It's preceded by the Sermon on the Mount, this collection of teachings. And so here we have Jesus. We are still relatively early on in Matthew. And we have um, this question about Jesus' authority and power, what it means to follow Jesus. And we have this mysterious person who's continually just sort of turning things upside down. He's turning the known order upside down, the religious order, the social order, the way things are. And so here we have this, three, um, this set of three stories that feels a little random on one hand, and then on the other hand, they're exploring this question a little farther about authority, about power, about Jesus' identity. 
And I'm, I'm going to give us a few ways to maybe sort of get some handles on it. And I don't know that I'm necessarily um, going to get us where we need to go. So we'll see, um, we'll see where that goes. I, Caitlin, thanks for being here today. Uh, just wanted to call you out. Thanks. You know, it's, it's funny. We don't often, like, promote sermons on Facebook or anything. But I was so excited about this message, I just thought I'd, like, put it out there. And I got a response from Caitlin, so thanks. You're here. You're here. I actually achieved my goal. Just like, if one person gets out of bed Sunday morning and makes it here, yes. Um, okay, so following Jesus is hard. Following Jesus is hard, and Jesus apparently doesn't want us to miss this point. He doesn't want us to miss this point. The depth of Jesus' compassion is coming through. The depth of, um, of the mercy of God is coming through. And there's this punctuated by these reminders that there's cost. There's cost. And so we have, even if we just look at Jesus' words in yellow instead of red, just to throw us off a little bit, um, this passage starts with Jesus sending his disciples. We're getting ready to go to the other side of the lake. But wait, 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 before we go, there's some people who might want to come along, and Jesus basically is going to say no to them. Um, or maybe, right, he doesn't say no, but he, he, he first says, animals have places to sleep, but the son of man, or the human one, um, as this translation, we'll, we'll pick up that term later, it's kind of a, it's a term with a history, um, has no place to lay his head. So even what's given to animals in the natural world is denied Jesus as a luxury, Following me, Jesus says, is going to mean that the luxuries of even knowing where you're going to sleep at night might be in question. Um, as a cost of following Jesus, there's sacrifice, there's uncertainty. Um, we don't want to dance around that. There's risk, there's work. There's work. Involved in following Jesus, and it might cost us something. And then this request, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, there's a lot of speculation about what this actually means. You know, was his father really dead? Or was he saying, um, I want to care for my dad until he dies? Um, you know, is he just trying to give an excuse? Or is it legitimate, like his dad died and he needs to go bury him? Um, that may or may not matter, really. Um, to, to deny the request to him either way is sort of an affront to, um, to the law of Torah, of caring for and honoring your parents and, um, and, and properly burying the dead. F follow me is that extreme. It's that radical. Um, Anna Case Winters, a scholar, comment, comments on this passage and says... Um, there's scant evidence for any of these kind of speculations, so left to stand as it is, the story lays bare the radical demands of discipleship. Everything's at stake. We talk a lot about, about work at Mountainside, uh, about participation, and we try to sort of reclaim, you know, that, that this work, this participation, this is where... This is where the life is. Um, this is what it means to actually become part of a body. 
And I actually, um, I remember having a conversation with somebody who, who left Mountainside ultimately because the level of demand was too high. Um, the expectation was too much to be involved in a community, um, to be giving to a community and not just receiving. And that, that was just a little too much. Um, it's too much for a lot of us some days, if we're honest. And one fear we have um, as diaconal, kind of our leadership group, we fear sometimes that as we grow, that members of the body will feel less compelled to participate because it feels like things are handled, you know? Um, and the reality is, you know, we, we still need everyone to participate in whatever that means. Bodies require feeding and nurturing and care. Bodies require um, attention. And they require every part in order to be a whole, to pick up another analogy from Paul. And so, um, so we miss each other in real ways when we're not all participating. And we also need to name that's cost, right? That's sacrifice. And it means a lot of things. And Sonia even named in the story this morning a few of those things it means. Um, it means more than Sunday morning. But even on a Sunday morning, there, there was one time, I couldn't find this number, and I meant to ask you earlier, Josh or Deborah. We, we figured out, like, how many people it actually takes just to do the work of a Sunday morning. Does anybody remember? Do you remember, Sonia? It was like 40-something? 40 40-something 40 people just to do, like, the work of a Sunday morning when you figure in liturgy and kids and music and technology and teaching and on and on and on. Um, that's a beautiful thing. That means that so many of us um, can participate in so many ways. Serving in the neighborhood is hard work. Taking Jesus' words and actions to our workplaces, to our schools, um, around the world. All, all of this is hard work. It's risky work. And Jesus is being a little bit hard-nosed about that here. Um, kind of like I'm being uh, about work at Mountainside. But, I, but let's see this as a gracious invitation to something more, something big. Something so utterly different that the only way to talk about it is in radical terms. Um, for some research that we're doing at work right now, we're visiting uh, different churches, and in particular multicultural churches around the L.A. area. And um, I, I spent some time a few Sundays ago at a Victory Outreach congregation. And Victory Outreach is very, um, it's centered around ministry through Pain. Pain and brokenness is the entry point into ministry with other people. And uh, Victory Outreach was founded to, uh, around recovery ministry and around gang ministry. And, uh, and now the congregations are often this kind of beautiful mix of people coming right out of the streets or right away from addiction. And then others who have you know, been involved for 20, 30 years in this ministry. Um, and it was, it was really fascinating talking to people about... about what it means to follow Jesus, right, in the context of their church and their approach to following Jesus. And this word um, radical came up a number of times. And phrases like all in, like we're, we're all in. We're all in. We're down to do anything for each other here. And I want to share a story um, from young, one young woman as we were doing these focus groups and talking with different, uh, different groups of people. And one of our, uh, my research partner posed this question of, you know, 
Are you ever afraid of sort of being called extreme or being considered extreme or, or radical? Um, especially when you talk about things like they had, somebody had just used the phrase banging for Jesus. You know, like we used, to, we used to bang on the streets and now we're banging for Jesus. And this question about extreme, and this young woman said, well, there's no other way to go. Extremist is part of our lifestyle because there was such an extreme change in our lives. It's hard to be quiet about it, to say it gently. There's such a fire in us, you can't contain it. There's a drive to do whatever we can without limits. And it comes from what we've overcome. Being underdogs in our communities, being victorious. The amount of gratitude we have to God is uncontainable. There's nothing to hide here. She goes on to say, it kind of reminds me of the woman at the well. God came, she had an encounter with him, and she went straight back to her town and told everyone. We had a radical encounter with God. It changed our lives. I'm pretty sure she wasn't quiet. She was banging for Jesus. All right? Victory Outreach and Mount Side Communion are different in some ways. Right? Um, But we have gifts to offer each other. We have things to learn from each other. And one of the, the gifts I walked away with from listening in this community, observing this community, uh, was this, this sense that um, God has done and is doing this work that's so great that out of gratitude, I can't not, I can't not do something about that in my community. <clears throat> I can't not do something about that wherever I find myself. An urgency that I think Jesus here is saying, don't, don't miss this. Um, and an urgency that implicates cost. Implicates cost and discomfort. So speaking of discomfort, um, next is this underwater scene, so to speak. And uh, I, I, we've all been underwater. So Jesus talks about cost and then immediately they get in this boat. And they set out across the water to the other side, right? This, this big phrase, the other side. Not just the other side of the lake, but really into Gentile territory. The disciples might already be afraid of that and what that's going to mean. And then suddenly the waves kick up, the wind kicks up. The way Matthew talks about it is there's, there's this earthquake in the, you know, in the water. And... They really feel like they're about to die. And maybe they are. Um, water, especially the sea, we've talked about over the, um, uh, over the years. Water represents chaos. Water represents chaos. We think about the chaos, the beginning of creation. We think about the chaos. Anywhere water is encountered, especially through the Old Testament... Um, it's uncertainty. The sea's only mentioned uh, in Scripture when God overcomes it. And suddenly these friends are out on it and it's overcoming them. And it looks like all is about to be lost. And these are people who know the water. But suddenly they find themselves under the water. Um, I have a story my kids like me to tell about being underwater. Um, when I was... The very mature age of 19 uh, and sophomore in college, I went with some friends over kind of a long fall break. And uh, we went we went on a camping trip, a kayaking trip, and uh, down to the middle of Tennessee. I was in Kentucky at the time. And it was the middle of October. It was cold. And 
we thought it'd be awesome to be out on the water, and it was. It was beautiful, and the fall colors were gorgeous, the trees and the hills. We were at some distant lake in the middle of some distant mountains. I don't think we ever saw any other people the entire trip, which was wonderful. So we kayaked out, and we kayaked to this island, and we set up our camp, and it was, um, it was, it was amazing. It was gorgeous. We were having the time of our lives. And it was close to evening, and a storm was brewing up. And one of my brilliant friends, he truly is brilliant, said, a storm's coming. We should get out on the lake. And being a bunch of 19-year-olds, we said, yeah! So we all get in our kayaks, and we get out on the lake, and of course the storm comes. And it's like blowing, and the waves are big, and there's lightning and thunder and rain, and we're out in the middle of the lake kayaking. It's really dumb. And we're also not all like super experienced in kayaking. So, so some of us are doing better at this. I would be one of those who was less experienced in kayaking. Uh, I didn't grow up really around the water. And so, um, so we're out there in the middle of the storm and the waves and the whole thing. And, and of course, I'm fighting really hard, but my kayak gets turned sideways into the flow of the waves. And you know, the last thing you want to do is be in the wave pattern, because if you can keep against it, you can stay on top of it, and I got this way. And so I immediately got flipped, and I'm under the water, um, and, I, and I get out, and I get up, and it's okay, um, sort of, but you know, it's a storm, and it takes a while to get people's attention, and so uh, eventually, we get my boat righted. Um, I am half frozen at this point, because the water's about 40 degrees, and so um, and because of my body type, I tend towards hypothermia pretty quickly, which is the other running joke in my family. And so, so I am, I mean, I can barely move, like I'm shaking so much. And so I actually end up getting in the back of a two-person kayak with my friend Brody, who's as, uh, who's as like muscular as he sounds. Um, this is his real name. And so Brody's kayaking me back. Oh, the other thing is I lost my paddle. So I'm under the water, I lost my paddle. Anyway, we get back up, I get in the other boat, and they somehow figure out how they're gonna, somebody's gonna like drag my boat back. And we get back fighting against the storm and eventually get back to the island. Um, and I am, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm basically, it, it takes a couple of hours to get me past this. Thankfully, I didn't end up with severe hypothermia, but it could have been, been bad. Um, but I think about that story because there's a lot of reasons to doubt that you're going to live when you're underwater, right? And I think about, think about these friends of Jesus, these followers, who've been told they're going to have to risk a lot, and then all of a sudden they're facing the end of their lives. And, and that feels real, right? And, and some of us have felt that kind of experience in a variety of ways, um, where the stuff of our lives... Maybe it's real water. Maybe it's, maybe it's something else. And I want to say, too, um, there's a lot of reasons to doubt God when we're in the midst of that. I, it's kind of interesting when you, um, uh, when you look up images around this story. There's some pretty interesting ones um, of these disciples struggling in the big storm. And, uh, and then there's this. Here's, here's white Jesus. Everything is okay. Um, you know, be still. 
This is good. Because where's Jesus in the midst of, of this storm, of this chaos, of this near-death experience? Well, he's sleeping. He's, he's fully human, and he's taking a nap. And we kind of we want to be ticked at Jesus at this point. Because it's not real fair to be taking a nap and then to look at these friends and say, why were you worried? Right? Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Um, and this one who, who called them to absolute discipleship now shows absolute authority. Shows authority over the wind, authority over the waves, authority over creation. Um, and asked about their faith. I, I want to say here, though, I think, I think weak faith may be the only way we grow. And uh, one of the, the things um, we do is study faith development and think about how, um, how doubt impacts faith development in adolescence. And one of the things we've realized is just how important questioning is to faith. Um, and we say it's not... Doubt that's toxic to faith, it's silence. It's when we can't talk about those questions. It's what I appreciate about this community. It's what I appreciate about godly play and that model that invites wondering, invites questioning at an early age. So that we say it's not the questions. Um, God's not afraid of the questions. God's not afraid of the questions. And I think Jesus also isn't, isn't afraid of his disciples to wonder, are we going to die here? Or are you going to do something? Turns out the opposite of doubt isn't certainty, but it's faith. It's faith, which is about hope about things unseen. And that's good news for us. And I think these disciples got a little bit of faith. They're still left with a question they can't answer, though, about who Jesus is. So I think we should jump to this next story um, and this next piece. We lean on Jesus' authority and on his mercy. So it's obvious right from the start in this next story that they're in Gentile territory. And if we can't pick that up um, from, from the other cues, they tell us that there's some pigs. And so we know we can't be around the Jews, right? Because... Pigs are not kosher. Pigs are not allowed. And so the pigs are, in, especially in Matthew's telling, you know, they're sort of like some of the bad guys here. They're just sort of accomplices. Um, now, i got to say, I used to raise pigs when, when I was a little kid. I actually took a pig to a pet show one time at my elementary school, which is kind of a bizarre experience. Um, my mom, I ended up on the front page of the local newspaper. Um, I was going to give you a copy, but I don't seem to have a copy of it anymore, um, despite the fact that my mom has about 25 So here you've got Jesus and these disciples going to a place that Jews would never go, and suddenly they're among terrorists and pigs. So you've got to kind of wonder, like, how could things get worse here? And, and so then we see Jesus um, showing authority. And it's the demons who recognize him first. They recognize him and they wonder, like, is something happening out of time here? They seem to know something that no one else in the story knows. And they seem to know who Jesus is and what he's going to come and do. But they, they're sort of saying like, wait, hold up, not yet. It's not that time yet. Like, Jesus, are you somehow going to extend your authority even beyond sort of the arranged 
reality of things that, that we know about and the, the people around have no idea what's going on. But somehow these demons are, um, they're dispersed. And they're dispersed into the pigs. The pigs. I do want to, again, just as an aside, um, you know, this local economy question, I think, is a fascinating one and a hard one to wrestle with a little bit. Um, I met a, I was going to tell a story briefly. Uh, when I was in the Philippines recently, I met this lovely family um, who lives also on the edge of a lake. And, uh, and they also raise pigs. And they raise pigs uh, as a way to kind of find income and support their family. And these are the pigs. They're adorable little creatures. And um, the pigs, I have a, I took a panoramic picture inside their house. Um, there's the pigs. And to the left is the sleeping area. And to the right is the kitchen. Um, and so these pigs for this family are like literally in the center of their home and the center of their family life. And it's hard for me to think about this family in light of this story too, right? Like what happened to... The, the people, what happened to, to um, the community? And it sort of helps me have an answer for the, why did they ask him to leave, you know? Things were really disrupted. Um, and perhaps, like, perhaps things need to be shaken up even that much when the power of God comes up against the power um, of evil, uh, the power that was tormenting these, these two men, who suddenly, Matthew doesn't tell us a lot about them. I was talking with Carla earlier this week, actually, about this passage, and about um, the Mark version of this, where there's one guy instead of two, and there's a little more dialogue with Jesus, and there's this, this sense of, um, while we often focus on the demons here, there's this beautiful tenderness um, with Jesus and, and this man, or, or these two men in this passage, that, like, they're made whole. I mean, they, they go from being terrorists from being demon-possessed, from being, you know, what other kind of labels we might want to put on them, mentally ill, um, and they're restored. They're restored. And somehow also in the economy of God, Jesus shows mercy to the demons. Somehow Jesus was merciful to these demons and gave them what they asked for. I don't have a lot of categories for that. I think we got to wonder, like, wow. Wow. <laughs> um, it's mercy to the extreme. And Jesus somehow has power over any manifestation of storm or evil or illness or disruption. In our life. And in this particular moment, Jesus rehumanizes men who had been very much dehumanized. So, a question um, this passage continues to raise that we'll answer here before we finish out and have the kids um, come back in is who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus who would cause all this disruption? Who would show this kind of authority? And Jesus is named in different ways in the passage. And, and if we kind of look back again. So in this first one, he names himself as the, the human one or the son of man is, is, is the traditional title here. 
it's kind of a complicated, uh, it's the first time it's used in Matthew. It's complicated in the New Testament. It largely points to this idea that Jesus is the one who must fulfill um, from the scriptures um, this idea about suffering and death and, and, and ultimately overcoming. And this glorious overcoming that this son of man or this one who is fully human um, will be that one. And Jesus is starting to identify himself here. Uh, identify himself with power and with suffering by doing so. And then we get this question from the disciples. What kind of person is this? Who is this? How are we to make sense? Because Jesus speaks and he displays God's power. You remember in the creation account, there's chaos, there's darkness, there's water, and then God speaks. Come on in, gang. God speaks. And Jesus speaks and he brings authority, that same sense of authority to the waves and to the wind. This extreme so in a sense, come on through. There's nothing to fear here. There's nothing to fear. Even now, nothing to fear. Um, that that the, one, the one who created all this is here and, and is here to speak a word into the chaos that we're finding ourselves in now. And then we have this last one, Son of God. And who is it that actually names Jesus Son of God? The demons, right? The demons get the best word in this passage. They're actually calling Jesus Son of God, not the disciples. Not the disciples. They answer the disciples' question. The disciples ask this question, and then we get the answer two verses later from the demons. Astounding. Um, astounding. And then ultimately, Jesus is asked to leave. So, uh, it's early for this, for this question in the gospel, but we're, Matthew wants us to keep asking this. Who is this Jesus? What's he really about? How disruptive is this really? What are we to make of all this really? What's the cost? What's the cost really look like? When we're faced with costs, when we find ourselves underwater, when we're when we're looking at our own, at our own demons, um, what authority will we give to Jesus in the midst of those moments? In the midst of those moments in our life at Mountainside, in the midst of those moments on the national and global scale, politically, uh, and in the face of, of, of realities, global realities, what authority will we give Jesus in our relationships? Um, and in the face of our own demons. And so on that note, we are going to come to this table um, that declares Jesus' authority, that declares um, our, our politic, um, that declares God's disruption of the order of things.